Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And on this episode, we have our good friend Matt to talk about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. How's it going, Matt? Great. Happy to be here. We're happy to finally have Matt on this podcast. He is a classic movie buff like me and how Ian has come to be over the course of the however many episodes we have done. Um, You're giving me too much credit, but that's okay. <laughs> you know what? It's Christmas. I'm feeling generous. Uh, so anyway, we're glad to finally have Matt on this podcast. Um, and as Ian said, we are covering Christmas Vacation for our second holiday episode in 2020. Christmas Vacation is a 1989 American family comedy film, although I would argue some of this maybe not the most family friendly. Um, it is the third in the National Lampoon Vacation film series coming after the original Vacation and then European Vacation. And it was written by John Hughes, who actually based it on his short story, Christmas 59, that was published in the National Lampoon magazine. Um, which was a magazine that ran from 1970 to 1998 and was a spinoff of the Harvard Lampoon. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what the Harvard Lampoon is. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, not like their newspaper, but it's like, it was like their parent, like their parody newspaper. Yeah. Ah, so like, like the to, onion, to but Harvard. someone is to like poke fun at them. Like it was known for a lot of like humor, especially like slightly more like edgy humor, especially for the mm -hmm. time. So National Lampoon was like a spinoff national non-college affiliated version of that. Um, okay. but it stars Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo and Randy Quaid. Um, it was directed by Jeremiah S. Uh, Chechik and also has a young Juliette Lewis as Audrey and a young, uh, John Galecki as Russ. Interesting. As well as just another, like a ton of great cast. Like uh, Doris Roberts is in it. Julia Louis Dreyfus is in it. Like she's the stuck up neighbor. I love her. I love the stuck up neighbors. I related to the stuck up neighbors more than I like to admit. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. I related to them so much. Um, and the guy playing Russ is not the same kid who plays Russ in the other family vacation movies correct i think actually in the first three films there's like three different russes not okay. the same girl either nella says yeah i think the uh <laughs> the girl is different in this one and i think in the first film it's like audrey actually seems like the younger child and russ is the older one but in this one it's definitely the other way around i kind of love that though that adds a lot well, and honestly, like it could be a standalone film. I think that is the thing that like I like most about the vacation series is like it's fun if you've seen them all, but also like each one really could be its own film. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just like go into watch notes? That's really wait, it didn't much win any the... awards. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm being like slightly heart, facetious, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> it won a, an award for being a fun Christmas movie. I mean, it did. It didn't receive any nominations. I think it definitely is one of those movies, though, that like has a legacy beyond awards. I'm OK with that. It is funny. The things that society chooses to remember aren't always of the highest quality, but that's OK. I think the thing about this one is, and I was actually thinking about this too, because we did um, Christmas in Connecticut and now we're doing this one. And then I was thinking about like other Christmas movies we've done. I think when you get into like the seventies and onwards, there's like a trend with Christmas movies where it's not just like 
oh, here's the lovely Christmas, like meaning of Christmas, the way you do in like those old 40s and 50s films. But it's like a here's Christmas and parts of it really suck. And we all recognize that. Let's laugh about it. And I really love how they take that kind of to the extreme with the every single like this movie is just a, a collection of vignettes in my mind that are like loosely tied together. And every single one of them is probably relatable to a sizable portion of the viewership. Yes. <laughs> so it's like you, you get all of these different things where you're able to see parts of your family reflected in different areas of the film to some extent, or at least from my background, I should say yeah. that's my experience or, with or it. Or you but. see yourself reflected in the bougie neighbors the way yeah. Ian and I apparently <laughs> Honestly, did. Both. Yeah. And maybe you can't identify with every instance but you can at least find two or three where you're like that happened to me Mm -hmm. like maybe you didn't have a huge fight about a christmas tree but you did have a huge fight about christmas lights or vice versa yeah like there's something in there it's like they hit like every sort of quintessential american family christmas disaster that could possibly happen and everyone's had something related to it i did text both my parents and thank them for us not being the griswolds (laughs) I was like, I'm very thankful that our family is not the Griswolds. I have to say that I think my family definitely is the Griswolds, especially my mom, because every single year she has like a list of Christmas activities that she just has to get through. It's like she has this idyllic Christmas image that she can never quite achieve. But if she can just do enough Christmas activities then she'll achieve this like Christmas time euphoria. Your mother is Chevy Chase. May or may not actually exist. Yeah. <laughs> I love my it. mom is basically Chevy Chase. I that is my favorite thing though about his character, because I think that character, um, with so many other films, like the person could play it way too broad and it could feel like a non-grounded, non-real character. I think Chevy Chase like rides the line between like comedy and realistic. But also, like, the fact that, like, in the end, he just wants this perfect Christmas for him and his family. He'll do anything to get it, and he's terrible at achieving it, but he's trying. And I think that's why you like him, despite the fact that, like, well, we'll get into it as we kind of go through the movie more. But, like, he's definitely also very, very flawed in a couple ways. Yeah. But we still like him because of his just stubborn optimism. Very true. So to move to watch notes, we get to see one of his flaws on flagrant display (laughs) while he's trying to get to this uh, Christmas tree farm, which this scene, I am the kids in the backseat where it's like, why are my parents dragging me hours out into the country while they're singing Christmas carols and I have to sit here and cut down a damn tree? (laughs) Those kids were not wearing seatbelts either because Chevy Chase is like pissing off the truck, like the truck driver. And then he's like trying to go around them. They have the bit where the car is like under the logging truck. (laughs) And then they end up like wrecking into a snowbank. And those kids fly way too far forward in that car. I was like, oh, my God, the 80s. Of course, those kids are wearing. (laughs) It's the 60s. 70s. (laughs) I also before times. I also question whether a station wagon like that could actually get in a highway road race with some backcountry truckers. But I don't know. Those old station wagons are pretty sturdy. (laughs) One of my friend's parents had one and that thing was great. (laughs) It could have survived anything. I've actually heard someone lament seriously 
that seatbelt laws were bad because it got rid of the good old days when you could just like pack kids into the back of a station wagon without seatbelts and just like <laughs> haul them around. Like I, I read like an actual printed article where someone tried to make that argument like, ah, these darn seatbelt laws nowadays just remove all the magic from family vacations because you can't recklessly Pack endanger kids your children. in the back and hope five of them survive. Removes the magic, adds a little bit of life. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, magic, extreme danger, same thing. Adds flavor. For sure. But I really love that intro because you get to see, one, how into it both the parents are and how earnest Ellen is at this whole like Christmas effort. I have to say watching this movie again, I was really blown away by Beverly D'Angelo's performance as Ellen. Like I think she plays it perfectly. She has some of the funniest lines. Her reactions are great, but she, her character has to like be the straight man a lot of the time because of Clark, but like I thought I thought she killed it and it was just like not a performance that I'd ever noticed before. Well, cuz I think she also wants the Christmas magic. Like you know, she's not poo-pooing it, you know? Like she wants to experience it too and like part of her really wants Clark to be successful. Like she doesn't want him to go berserk, but like she wants him to succeed. Like she wants to capture the Christmas magic too. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the whole family, did, like, even the kids to a certain extent, like, yes, Audrey's absolutely frozen and can't feel anything from the waist down trekking out to the Christmas tree. And no, she can't see it because her eyes that are frozen. That close up on her face was so good. <laughs> Which Beverly D'Angelo's delivery of the, she'll see it later, honey, her eyes are frozen, was so perfect. But, like, even the kids, like, when the lights don't work, like, they're disappointed for him. Like, every everybody maybe doesn't want it quite as hard as Clark does and isn't willing to just do whatever to get it the way Clark is. But everyone in the family, like, is supporting it, which is why I think it works. So I feel the Christmas tree hunt really hard in my heart because... My family actually did have a Christmas tree farm that we went to every year when I was growing up and it closed a couple years after I went to college. And I don't I still don't think my mother has recovered because just going to Lowe's oh. and getting a tree is not good enough for her. So like it's it's you know Alabama, so freezer furs don't grow here, but they had like a few different hot weather you know, conifers that you could choose from. And you could literally like ride in the back of a tractor, go pick one out and cut it down yourself. They had a whole thing set up. But then like the family that ran it, the patriarch like retired or died or whatever. And the kids didn't want to do it anymore because it was too much trouble. And there wasn't any other place like that anywhere close. Um, we tried like driving up to like North Georgia to do it once. And it ended up being like a huge fight between my parents. Cause it was like a two and a half hour drive to get there. And we were like going down like bumpy, like not well-maintained roads. And my dad was like, let's just go home and get one from Lowe's. But <laughs> I definitely feel this because we actually used to do the old fashioned family Christmas where we went to a farm and cut down the tree. And when that was taken away, like my mom was extremely disappointed. So I can kind of understand why he wants to do the cutting it down himself thing. In fact, the year, the first year where we couldn't go to the Christmas tree farm, we had a huge family fight. 
because we couldn't like find one we wanted. Um, we went to a couple like Christmas tree lots and none of them were good enough. So me and my sister went out in the woods and cut down a tree like in the woods <laughs> behind our house just so it could be like a real like fresh tree from the woods just like it used to be. That's fantastic. Was it a tree that was an appropriate size for your home? Fortunately, it was. There, <laughs> we got really fortunate because there was this one tree like growing next to the lake that was like dead from like five feet above the ground down. So we just cut the top off of it. Oh, nice. Perfect. Uh, if only the Griswolds had done that because they find <laughs> they're like, this is the perfect tree. You immediately see the tree and you're like, that tree will not fit in a house. Like that is a tree. And then they're standing there and it's like the dad, did you bring an ax? No. So appa apparently they dig up said tree because it is strapped onto the roof of their car. Roots and all. I always thought that was a weird scene because if you don't have any tools, then How do you, dig you up the also tree? have no way to dig up the tree. You know what? I'm going to lay that at the feet of those good old station wagons. I'm going to believe that they were able to <laughs> Just pull a tree it out. out by the roots. Yeah. It was their good the old front wheel drive sleigh. <laughs> See, that's what you sacrifice when you don't have seatbelts. Like, how are you going to rip a fir tree out of the ground? <laughs> Great question. And, and that uh, leaded gasoline really gives you that extra oomph you need. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh. But yes, it is clear that that is not fitting in their house, but that gives us a wonderful introduction when we're back at their like house to their snobby, trendy neighbors, Margot and Alan, I believe. Yeah. And they're like, it's their not going to fit. Their names are weirdly similar to ours too. D don't worry about it. Just, just, <laughs> just don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine being Jul uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so we get that as an aside, but I love how that couple in particular comes back at key moments in the film and just adds to the comedic effect. So we'll get there. Yeah, but, I'm, um, I'm frankly on their side because I would not want to have neighbors that were the Griswolds. There's too much same. destruction of property that happens. Um, but we also get kind of some wonderful physical comedy. I mean, so much of this film is like sight gags and physical comedy with... Um, Ellen and Clark lying in bed when he untied the tree, he got stuck in the tree. And so now he has sap all over his hands and he's trying to read the magazine and it's like the pages are getting stuck <laughs> and then Ellen will try and help him, but then the pages will get stuck to her. And in the end of the scene, he's got a lamp stuck to him and like Ellen's hair is like stuck to one hand. She's not reacting at all um, because that's where she kind of gives this line that like fully sets up Clark's character and kind of summarizes what we were talking about is when she says, it's just that I know how you build things up in your mind. You set standards that no family ever could live up to or no family event can ever live up to. And I think that's like the best summation of his character. And then he's like, when have I ever done that? And she starts listing all the times he's done it as the scene like fades out. That gag of the listing things over and over and over and over and over again comes back. And I really appreciated it. It's so good. Especially the insult on his boss, which is seriously like 45 seconds of swearing, which I find impressive. <laughs> but that's that's my personal opinion. But of like well done creative swearing. Yeah. It's not just like the four letter words. No, no, no. You got to get creative if you're going to swear for 45 seconds. <laughs> for sure. 
You know, it actually took me a long time to realize that it was the tree sap. Like when I was a kid, I was like, I don't get it. Like our magazine sticky. Why is, why is he doing this? Like it's a, like, there's a lot of reasons why the movie is actually better as an adult than it was as a kid. Cause my parents always enjoyed the movie. I used to hate it. I used to think it was like really <laughs> dumb and boring and not funny, but like, that was one of the things where like, as a young kid, like I didn't put two and two together. I didn't realize that it was the tree sap on his hands, making the magazine stick to his fingers. I was just like, Oh, okay. Now he's having trouble reading the magazine <laughs> and that's funny, I guess, whatever. Yeah, it's definitely more enjoyable as an adult because there are certain gags that you get like you get that you maybe like didn't get as a kid. But also, I think like you've just lived longer and you've been through more family shit (laughs) (laughs) so you can just appreciate the chaos a little bit more. Also, like I think as an adult, you have to try harder to like make moments magical because when you're a kid, the magic just comes naturally, you know? Yeah, you didn't realize that mom and dad were working really yeah, hard Yeah, you didn't for realize it. that your parents were, like, putting all this work in up front to, like, make it magical. You're just like, oh, well, Christmas is magic. It's as easy as that. And it just came to you. And it's like, now you're an adult and you're, like, trying so hard to recapture that feeling you had as a kid. And you're like, oh, I just can't quite grasp it. Uh, that hits hard this year. <laughs> So I think that kind of wraps up the intro section and they, they do a really, I, I, I kind of like the using of the advent calendar to place you in time as it's like these different things happening. So next. Yes, because it is so vignette based, which it, like there's really not like a huge long plot thread. Like there's kind of the plot thread of like the bonus that we're about to really set up. But other than that, like there's not a ton of like connective tissue other than like it's Christmas and disasters are going to happen. I also like the calendar because the calendar's kind of vintage. So it's mm-hmm. like the calendar represents the good old fashioned family Christmas. Like the calendar, the scenes in the calendar are like the perfect old timey Christmas, you know? So it's like it's counting down to the event and it's also like making you feel a little bit more anxious because Christmas is getting closer and you haven't captured the magical feeling yet. Yeah. No, it's it's the I think it's the perfect device. Yeah. So, as Maggie said, we're setting up kind of the swimming pool Christmas bonus scene here as we move into December 14th. So some banal conversation at work about a swimming pool. It's fine. Because he works at like a food company. And he has his non-nutritive cereal lacquer. Is it lacquer? It, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's something. It's like crunch something. It makes the cereal more crunchy because it like seals the pores so the milk can't oh get inside. God. I just, oh my God, I was laughing so hard. And I did notice in their kitchen that there's an awful lot of cereal around. He's also like the non-nutritive food additive engineer of the year or something like that. Yeah, it's like crazy stuff. I love in his office. He's got like weird models of like just random stuff. And cereal. Kind of food related. Is he, would he be a chemical engineer? Is that who would do that? Like who designs non-nutritive food additives? Are those chemical engineers? I would think it would be chemical engineering, right? My guess is it would be a food science person because chemical engineers are usually more focused on like industrial processes not building uh, cereal molecules. Cereal is an industrial <laughs> process, my friend. Did you see how much cereal there was? Enough Could for a whole industry. Get me another one of these, please. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> so I can't go downstairs to get one. <laughs> oh my. 
I should have brought my bottle over here. I've already. Oh, I am. When we find the next good stopping point, I'll be like, I'll get another beer. But I'm like, I'm good for a little bit. You should get Patrick to bring it to you. He is off shooting, so he oh. cannot bring it to me, sadly. Different kind of shooting. Arrow shooting, not yes. film shooting. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's clear that he, well, he's talking to his coworker and is like, we're putting in a swimming pool with this bonus. He has like a pamphlet and everything, which in Chicago, I'm kind of like, why, why would you put in a swimming pool in Chicago? You're not going to get as much use out of it as you might at other locales. I don't know. Uh, Midwest summers can be toasty. They can, but the winters are so long. <laughs> so true. So long. I wouldn't survive. <laughs> But with putting in the swimming pool, he also makes it very clear that he cannot afford the swimming pool without the bonus, Mm -hmm. Um, which we discussed um, earlier kind of offline about how it it seems like there's like a, at least from our knowledge, like bonuses these days, well, one, they're usually not tied to Christmas for a lot of people, but also kind of like at least back then it was like kind of like your bonus was like an assumption as if it was like part of your salary, really. So the fact that they're setting up this fact that like he's relying on this, which like we as an audience are like, oh, no, don't spend money you don't have yet (laughs) on a swimming pool you don't need (laughs) (laughs) that you can't use for 90 percent of the year. Uh, But we set up his really mean boss, Mr. Shirley, which I love the way this is shot with just the polished black shoes tromping down the hall in formation and the music like instantly changes to something like a little bit more sinister. You guys probably already know this, but that uh, part is played by Bill Murray's brother. You can totally tell too. Oh yeah. I was like, like, he looks so much like him. Is that Bill Murray? It is not Bill Murray, but who is it? (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite parts about that scene is how as the boss and his uh, yes men pass through the door, he kisses ass for an exact number of people before he starts insulting them. It's like he knows. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I have to kiss the boss's ass. And then like exactly three layers removed from the boss, I also have to kiss their ass. But then after that, then they're dead to me. <laughs> and it's a great run. It's like, because then he starts going from like, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kiss or kiss my ass. Kiss my ass. Kiss his ass. Kiss your ass. <laughs> <laughs> the writing is very snappy. So like I don't I don't know. I I f- often feel like comedy writing especially in like mainstream films doesn't seem to get credit. Agreed. But here really do want to call that out for being really good and Chevy Chase's timing is superb. Yeah, I mean, he's he's absolutely great with comedy, like, obviously. But uh, no, I, I agree. It is, I think, very difficult to write witty, witty, well-paced, funny dialogue and, like, have it work. It can go so wrong, like, so quickly. Because, like, if you do just one little thing in that scene different, it's not funny. Like, if he says nothing and then tells the last guy, kiss my ass, it's not funny. Like... Like, you have to know that he is he's kissing ass and then at some point down the line suddenly switches. 
Yeah, but his tone and his facial expression do not. <laughs> Just the words he's <laughs> saying. But they and they do it in the rule of threes too, mm. which is always great. Um, but then we move to let's talk about the department store scene, which will later come back to be tied to the pool. And this is where I this is the thing that I wish this movie did not have. I mean, it's so 80s and it it just didn't age well, though. It does not age well. It also like it's such a major flaw in what I think is otherwise a very likable character. And I'm not saying that like characters and likable characters especially shouldn't have flaws. I just like this is such an egregious flaw and it really kind of like ruins like what is in every other way a really great relationship between like him and his family. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, it feels like it's out of character for him because he does seem so into his family that it, it seems weird that he would be off ogling a department store clerk. Maybe in this one film, if you've seen the rest of them, there's always something like this. I think it I think it's just such a particular type of humor from that time period that just. Yeah, because it's it's a very young, pretty like clerk who's working the lingerie counter at this department store and he's like hardcore flirting with her. And there is one bit where I'm just like she this poor girl, this has happened to her so many times. I shouldn't say girl, this poor woman. This has happened to her so many times that day. She's like so done. There's just the point where she's just like, can I like like take anything out for you, meaning to like see to like show you. And then he's like. Like giggles and stuff. Yeah. I, I do find it very, that whole scene was very cringy for me. So it just didn't age well. I think it's it's also worse that like his young son sees it happening and then comes over with an expression on his face like he's had to interfere with this many times before. I think like, I think the part about like him like being older and like fantasizing about women is like, something you see in movies a lot, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily unrealistic, but the like active, like, Oh, well, my wife is dead thing is just kind of silly and dumb. And like, of course that's not. Yeah. It's like the him acting on it, like a seeing him act on it. That's really cringy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like he acts on it and like, and it's so immature the whole time he's doing it too. And you're right. It's like the, well, my wife is dead. Well, no, no, no. Like we're divorced. Like it's like, we met Ellen and we like Ellen. Like don't throw her under the bus. I also think it like another thing about that scene that I didn't like is like, I could, I couldn't ever tell if the woman he's talking to like is in on it or not because sometimes they make her seem totally oblivious like oh well let me lift up my skirt and show you how high up my panty line is and it's like why would you like are you doing that because you're dumb and you can't like realize how like enticing that would be to this obviously you know compromised guy or are you doing it on purpose to mess with him and early on, she seems not interested at all. And yeah, kind of and then frustrated. the next second, she's like yeah. lifting her skirt up. So like, which is it? Are you not interested or are you like trying to entice him? I, I don't understand. Or is it just an 80s movie that wants to show skin? I think that's all it is. Like, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. If it's made in the 70s or 80s and like you don't see side boob that at least like that's weird. <laughs> which we do get side boob later. <laughs> I know. That's why, that's why I called it out. So, yeah, I, I could have done without 
the department store scene and honestly it's reprise with the swimming pool scene later but hey it was made in 89 like, i actually think that like it may have even worked if he didn't actively flirt with the department store woman but just like saw her and talked to her and then later he's fantasizing about her like that would make sense that's believable you know what i mean yeah, that would have that would have kept more of the like integrity of his character too, or even in like the daydream scene later. Like, why couldn't it have been his wife? Yeah, the the two things don't really fit. Like, either you're really into your family and making a magical mo- moment, or you're just a horn dog that like daydreams about like pretty women all day. Which is it? I mean, I guess I guess it could be both, but it just doesn't like it doesn't make for a consistent story. Well, especially not in like this time span for like a comedy i was i side note i was like listening to a podcast and they were talking about how like the only time that like people are very obsessed with like consistency and character for like fiction but like people in real life like sometimes like oftentimes you do things and you're like i can't tell you why i did that and like sure it's out of character but like i can't explain it but i guess when you're looking at something in fiction you're like i want consistency in character because i'm seeing like a short period of time Show me some complexity, but not too much complexity. (laughs) People are very complex and you're trying to capture a very small piece just for this movie. So don't try to bite off too big of a chunk. Like, give me a small chunk that I can actually chew on and digest. You want me to understand that he is trying to recreate magical Christmas for his family. I can bite that off and chew on it. I can't be expected to also understand that he's like an aging man that's sexually frustrated, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like that's not this movie. Like we'll tackle that when we get to American Beauty. (laughs) Oh, God. I forgot we have to watch that one. (laughs) Yep. But like that. Yeah, you're right, though. Like that's just not what this movie is. So... Those scenes, I think, definitely could have been cut. Um, what is next, Ian? You're our vignette master. So, lots of lots of vignettes coming up, but the main thing is a family is now here, and the way that they filmed this is amazing because you have this like calm pastoral. Everybody's just doing their thing. One is doing their thing. Rusty's watching. It's a Wonderful Life, which we have previously covered on this podcast. Also. Frank Capra, who directed It's a Wonderful Life, his grandson was an assistant director on this film. Oh, nice. Nice. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Or every time a doorbell rings, your nightmare family is here. (laughs) (laughs) Which is how this goes down. I'm curious to know if you guys did this. So when I was growing up and like we would travel to family for holidays, we always did my mom and my dad's family separately. Like we never had both families together. And honestly, the only times I can remember both families together have been like a funeral when like the other side of the family would come for support. And then obviously like my parents' wedding, both sides would have been there, but. Yeah, we have never had a joint Christmas it's mostly logistics based though. So my in-laws, uh, my in-laws are, it's a very large family and they all live in one place. And so it just didn't work out to get everybody together. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's kind of, but you would want odd. to have both sides. I mean, I know both sides of your family do get along. So that would they do. Be. They do. So like that part, I would like it. I wouldn't want to have everybody staying at my house all at once because that would be three, four, nine, 
Too many. That'd be like 15 people in my house plus me and Patrick. That's too many. That's way too many. (laughs) I I also agree. Maybe I'd be more okay with it because like the idea, I'm like, no. But if I was not hosting and people were not at my house and I could get away then I think that's it. I'm that person who like needs her space. And so like, I have to be able to get away <laughs> from people. So another thing about this movie that I appreciate more as I get older is like the burden of transitioning from the child that just enjoys f- like Christmas events to being the adult that has to host Christmas events, because it's what it's not something anyone ever prepares you for. You just have to figure it out as you go. And I haven't had to do it yet, but I've got to watch my in-laws do it. And I've watched like (laughs) uh, Nella's sister-in-law has hosted like Christmas and Thanksgiving and how like stressful it is because of how critical your mother-in-law will always be. And yeah, like it's, it's something that as a kid, like you don't understand why he's stressed out about it. You know, it's like, what's the big deal? You're, parents and your wife's parents are in your house like who cares like as a kid you don't understand why that's a big deal but as you get older like you realize how incredibly stressful that is and you don't pick up on the little things um like the fact that like your mom's parents (laughs) clearly don't like your dad the way that ellen's parents clearly do not like clark and it's done in such small ways but like it's so perfect because they never tell you that like they hated that she dated him and later married him but you can tell that they hated that um but i love when like they're all doing their separate things and you hear the doorbell ring and then they all just like look up terrified and then the doorbell (laughs) ring transitions from a normal ring to like an ominous it like goes down an octave every time not an octave but it's like so menacing and then you open the door and all of the grandparents are there like arguing and fighting and then it's chaos chaos so Couple other high points definitely want to hit in this kind of section. So poor, poor Clark gets stuck in the attic. And I, okay, I just who love hides the presents that in it the is attic. His... Hide the presents in your closet like a normal <laughs> person. Okay, but did you see it was like a hiding spot, like lost gifts in this like little nook. <laughs> that has happened to my family before. I hid a present in my Amazing. parents' uh closet once. And didn't find it until like six months later. Yeah. One time when I was like 12 or 13, it was like random day in like April. And my dad just comes to me. He's like, here, I found one of your presents. We forgot to put under the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Just like tossed me a box. Christmas in April. That's the expression, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the, the thing about him getting trapped one, I, am in love with the fact that it's his mother-in-law that does it. So she is all grumpy about it being cold and slams shut this attic door that he is up in trying to hide all these presents. That he apparently can't open from the inside. Okay. Suspend your details. Like, yeah, (laughs) I agree with you, but also ignore it. (laughs) Yeah. But I love that. Like he, he goes from being like mad and miserable about it to having this entire, just like nostalgia fest. And I, it really is that idea that it's like, you don't, I think nostalgia is a human defense mechanism because like everybody does it. And even when you know you're doing it, like you can't help but do it when you like get nostalgic for things that are like so old, like he's got the old family Christmas reels happening and he's like 
weeping almost. He's wrapped in like what I'm assuming is like an a grandmother's like gloves and head wrap and like shawl and coat. That is a really great scene. Like the camera like cuts in and it's like him like on his chin with a head wrap and like a tear going down his cheek. You know, it's like they like framed it perfectly. He's like dressed like this matronly figure watching these old videos. Oh, it's so good. Um, but it really is also touching because like you get it. Like we've all been there and we understand. And I think even Clark knows that like he's not remembering what really happened because there is a scene later where he's talking to his dad and he's like, I just wanted this to be the perfect Christmas because like our Christmases were always so terrible growing up. So we got to see like the kind of like the quote unquote perfect part of it in that scene. It's sweet. But then, of course, we get the comedic ending where he falls down the trapdoor because his wife opens it. <laughs> the trapdoor that would not open under his body weight, but just miraculously falls open as soon as someone tugs on the string. There's a magical hair trigger in the pull chain. <laughs> obviously, called, called Christmas reasons. <laughs> it's Christmas magic. Christmas magic. <laughs> um, okay. Shall we talk about the lights? Oh my gosh. I, I talk really about like how you're not supposed to put fucking staples in shingles that, on your roof. That has always bothered me about this movie. Like, why would anyone do that? Those staples are going to be not do there that. forever. Like, why would you do that? Okay. Um. <laughs> Maggie was not prepared for that <laughs> outburst. No, 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 no. Please don't judge me. Why can't you do that? Well, I mean, because you're punching holes in your roof. <laughs> like that's the main reason. But like, also, like for me, like as a pet peeve, I don't want the outside of my house to be like covered in staples. You know, like even if, like even if the staples don't penetrate all the way through your shingles, which they might, depending on like how heavy duty of staples you're using. Like, no one wants to see that. Like. You want something that you can take off. Like you don't want this. Like the staples are still going to be there after you take the lights out. You know, like if anybody's looking that closely at my roof, we have a problem. <laughs> but just use clips. Just clip them on. Exactly. Okay. It's so much I, easier. I'll trust you guys. I've never and then hung your lights on a house. Doesn't get stuck to the side of your eve. <laughs> I have fair enough. Whenever I saw that saying, I was like, "Does anyone actually do that? Does anyone actually staple?" <laughs> Christmas lights to their house. I've never done that. Like, like it started with just throw the lights onto the bushes. That's like, you know, the uh -huh. earliest stage of Christmas light decorating. And then if you're really fancy, you get the little plastic clips that like latch onto the shingles. But that's it. Like, that's as far as it goes. There's no more permanence than either laying on top of bushes or clipped with a little plastic doodad. I've never put lights up on a house before, so I had no idea. I do realize, though, because we would watch this movie usually every year growing up. I think my anxiety around people like using ladders on roofs <laughs> came from this movie because <laughs> when he's like he gets his sleeve caught and then when he jerks away, like the ladder comes back and he like hits the tree. And I just oh, that part was giving me so anxiety. So Ian, when you were like, I need to get a ladder and clean the gutter. That's why I was like, don't do that. <laughs> Ladders are You'll dangerous. Die. I am still here to tell the tale. 
I know, but I was really nervous. But I think it's because of this movie. <laughs> to me, the worst part isn't the ladder falling backwards against the tree. It's the ladder collapsing when he wasn't expecting yes. it to. I did have... That'll take a finger yeah, off. <laughs> I did have a ladder do that, but it was like only like the very... Like I was in the process of putting it up. So I didn't have the full weight of the ladder come down on my arm. But I did have like one rungs worth of weight fall on my arm. And that was enough for me to be like, no, never again. <laughs> like, Ugh. we are implementing safety protocols for putting this ladder down from now on <laughs> because I will not lose my hand to a collapsible ladder. But he gets all the lights set up. It is going to be the big moment. He calls everyone outside into the snow to like put the final cord together for the lights to happen and nothing. No light. His family's really sweet about it. His in-laws are not. Well, but they're also drunk. I, uh, his uh, mother-in-law just standing out there with like a martini. <laughs> I was like, yes. I kind of want to be her when I'm older, except maybe a little bit nice, like less frigid. <laughs> I not Maybe not really that frigid, but I do want to give the air of that frigidity. <laughs> I do like how, I think we mentioned this earlier, like, his wife is still supportive at this point, you know, like she's still disappointed it didn't work and she still wanted it to work. Yeah. And like the kids too, like his daughter's like, you know, it looks nice even if it doesn't light up. Like she goes from being like, oh, what if someone I know drives by to be like, oh, no, it still looks pretty. So I do like that, like when he they can tell how devastated he is. And so like when they need him, he is like they are there for him. It's so sweet. So this he goes through like four or five nights of this throughout this section checking every bulb. um. That that was something I wanted to mention because apparently this, this might not be true anymore, but apparently with the old fashioned bulbs, literally if one of them is out, then the electricity cannot pass to the next light. I remember that from old Christmas lights, like for the tree. Uh, we used to have to check them because I eventually when I got old enough, I was like, I want to be the one to put the lights on the tree because I thought it was a big honor. And my parents were like, OK, you're finally old enough. And then I realized they were like, yes, because they hated putting <laughs> the lights on the tree because you have to check them all. Yeah. So I got suckered into it. But like, I remember that like a strand not working and having to be there being like, OK, well, which bulb is it? Yet another reason why it's less magical as an adult. Very true. OK, my, very, my very mother true. literally talked to me three days ago about how she did this on her tree where it was like okay i gotta check all these lights because one of them's out don't know which one you were like you really should buy new lights because that means your lights are from like the early 90s it's a pre-lighted tree so (laughs) she was motivated to fix it we have one of those now because then when it was my sister's turn to take over lighting the tree my sister was like fuck no (laughs) your sister's smart yeah she knew what was up annie knew what was up so that whole, all those struggles, but we find out that there is a switched outlet in the basement. You guys, you guys, he's going to burn that fucking house down. Oh my God, Did you such see how an electrical hazard. In that like extension cord, just hanging in like a basement with exposed asbestos. And none of, like none of those outlets are level. grounded. <laughs> <laughs> none of them are grounded. <laughs> Like, you're all going to die. This is such a fire hazard. And, like, you know, they're old lights, too, so they get, like, really hot. 
I yeah. just don't worry oh, about it, Maggie. Okay, they caused a brownout, so <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yes. Well, because I love where you have like the mother-in-law going into like their laundry room is in there, and so like she switches on the light and he's outside. He's like, "Oh my god, it worked!" And it happens to coincide just as he's like plugging the thing back in. Then you get like the music and the really bright light cut to the neighbors who had like just gotten home from like a really long workout oh, and were, were having like sexy time. <laughs> I know. And then th- through the window, it's just like brighter than sunlight. They're both blinded by it. Then the light gets switched off. The lights go out. We see the neighbors like kind of like adjusting to the d- like they can't adjust to the dark quite yet. So then they're like falling over shit. But my all-time favorite is when they have to turn on the emergency nuclear power (laughs) because of the extra electricity that the Griswold house is sucking up. Yeah, because Ellen finally realizes what it is. Okay, the way she plays that, also amazing. She's just like sitting there twirling her hair and it's like, oh, wait. And it's a non-issue. And she just like walks down and with this like sense of satisfaction just flips the bulb. I mean, the switch. That's such a mom thing. To, to, to be like, the solution is like some obscure, very small thing that like no one would have thought of or noticed. But your mom's like, oh, yeah, no, I know exactly what it is. It's like this weird switch that just happens to be like connected to that. Is that like an old house thing? Like, because I don't feel like modern houses have very many outlets that are connected to switches. I have a couple. Okay. But you have an older house. True. Though. Well, but it was also like totally gutted <laughs> in the last couple of years. We, we so. also have one. Like we have an outlet that is connected to a switch, but I do in my apartment, but they're all marked. So I know which ones they are. Oh, that's courteous of them. Yeah, there's like a little red dot over the ones that are connected to a switch, which is really nice because otherwise there would be times when I like thought I'd plugged in my phone and I hadn't. Um, But no, we used to have a switch in our library that I to this day don't know what it connects to. Like there was just a switch in the wall that like you would have thought was a light switch, but there was also like no like light in the like no ceiling light in the room and if you plugged stuff into the outlets it wasn't connected to an outlet (laughs) i'm I'm sure it was there to just annoy the ghost girl in your crawl space but that's my interpretation yeah to this day i have no idea (laughs) so yeah they finally did get it lit but the way that they pan across clark just exuberantly jubilantly talking to his entire family as he moves down the line. It's great. His in-laws don't like him. And then he comes upon Eddie and is so happy to see Eddie. And it's like, we did it. Who the cousin fuck is Eddie? Eddie. Oh, cousin Eddie. How to describe cousin Whenever Eddie. Whenever we rewatch this, um, that was one of the main theatrical things that we noticed, even not being theatrical people is how you meet Eddie is the perfect way to meet Eddie. Like you just see the back of his head and you don't know who he is. He is just there all of a sudden when you weren't expecting him to be. And boy, does he make an impression when you finally like get to see his face and hear him speak. He has fantastic outfits. Oh my God. Yes. Like the blue leisure suit. (laughs) (laughs) I love the blue leisure suit. 
It's so I kind of want like a blue leisure, like a copy of like that blue leisure suit. But then I would I would tailor the pants to not be flares. But, oh, but you have to have the flares. You no, gotta I'm go too throwback. Short. I'm too short for flared pants. Mini flares then. No. <laughs> no, you gotta go big or go home on the flare. I, I just I know it works for me, Ian, and it's a blue leisure suit sans flare. Well, okay. I mean, there's anyway. enough flare in a blue leisure suit on its own. You don't need the extra. Yeah, flare with an I, not flare with an E. Um, yes. <laughs> Anyway, the way that Ellen so graciously handles the situation is just peak mom. We have plenty of <laughs> it's like room. We have plenty of towers. And plenty of towels <laughs> and plenty of everything. <laughs> but I love how everybody's like, why the hell are you here? Why was this a surprise? We are not on board with this. And then they have their dog Snot, which is the best <laughs> name for a dog. I just it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, because Eddie and Fam have parked their trailer in front of the house. Uh, We meet his wife, Catherine, who is like such a sweetheart. Sorry. It's an RV. RV. You're right. It is an RV. I'm sorry. Upgrades. Eddie and Fam park the RV outside the house. We meet his (laughs) wife, Catherine, who is a sweetheart. And his kids, uh, I forget what the son's name is. I know the daughter's name is Ruby Sue. Ruby Sue. And apparently her eyes used to be crossed. <laughs> but she got kicked by a horse? <laughs> and they un- no, what happened first? Did she no, fall no. down the well she, first? She fell down the well first. Um, as Eddie explained, she fell down a well and they got crossed. And then she got kicked by a mule and they got uncrossed. <laughs> Darndest thing. <laughs> Little wins. Just so take good. the little wins. <laughs> I re- it's so good. I really like Snots, though. He reminds me of our new dog, Lenny. Whenever he's like, you've never seen a package <laughs> like this dog has on him. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and did you see? I love how Clark looks disgusted by that. But then you cut to Ellen and she's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Again. Beverly D'Angelo did so well with this role because she's also in this scene. She gets stuck between Clark and his mother and is just like looking around frantically like, why am I here in this middle of this hug? What is going on? She just it's so good. And just so like she plays it so straight, but not. I don't know. It's it's good. Yeah, it's like her reactions are funny, but they're also 100 percent believable. Yeah, 100 percent. I also like how cousin Eddie is not from the Southeast. He's from Kansas. So I'm like, okay, good. There are white trust rednecks <laughs> all over the country. So you, yeah, you didn't like, you could have, you could have picked Alabama or Mississippi, but you didn't. He's from Kansas. So you picked on someone else for a change, which probably makes more <laughs> sense because it's Chicago. So it makes more mm-hmm. sense that you'd have family like you know, in the Midwest rather than the Southeast. But that was always a little win for me growing up. I'm like, okay, good. There's rednecks <laughs> other places too. Everywhere. Love it. So I think really the last scene to note here is the fantastic sled. So the non-nutritive uh, cereal lacquer comes back. Either that or a different product that he's developed. I don't know. But basically it is slick as fuck. And he is rubbing it on the bottom of his sled. I love scene. that they like, so if you think about it, like Clark's career could have been so just like, like he could have been an accountant or something. Like it could have been anything. They didn't even have to tell you what it was for this to work. But I love that they got so specific about like his job and his industry and then just brought it back for like two jokes. They wanted to make it feel real. You know, like they're like, what's, what's like sort of a lame but lucrative 
job that this guy could have. Like, that's weird, but, like, real. Yeah. <laughs> it, it fits perfectly. Totally agree. But this whole scene, it's, I don't know, it happens really fast and literally because you get the rocket sled as soon as he <laughs> hits the slope. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure, I actually don't love this scene. I, I don't, like... I don't find it particularly funny. I think it's just kind of like dumb and obvious. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't think it adds that much because it's kind of it's kind of slapstick, you know, like everything else is a little like I guess everything is a little bit slapstick, but most other stuff sort of harkens back to some idyllic thing that you're trying to replicate in your mind. But this one like is just, oh, it's funny because the sled is way faster than he thought it would be. And then the effects aren't very good. So, like, like you would have cut the lingerie scene in the department store. I would have cut the, like, sleigh scene. It just doesn't do anything for me. It's one of the weaker scenes. I would agree. I think it's because so many of the other scenes, like, even if they are slapsticky, like, they're doing other things, too. Like, you're getting character, like, you're getting nostalgia, or, like, there's some sort of emotional something going on in the scene, and there just isn't another layer to this scene. The only thing that I could say it kind of reminds me of is that thing that dads do, where they're, like, convinced that they know something is correct and going to work and will insist that it's smart, even though they've never tested it. It's like the time that my dad was like I'll come help you change that tire and I was like do you know how to change a tire and he was like yeah over the course of changing that tire after some questioning it was revealed that he has only ever changed a tire once in his life he was like 20 when he did it and he had help and so I still had to call the tow truck (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I'm I'm in total agreement with y'all it doesn't really do anything to further plot or character so why is it in the movie other than some release maybe some breaking of the fourth wall at the end i don't know you do get you do get to see him like slide into a walmart parking lot like an old walmart not even a super walmart but like the old timey walmart (laughs) it was 89 (laughs) so that pretty much wraps up pretty much i think the bulk of things happening um in that scene so we're moving on to advent calendar december 21st so in this section, first major scene is poor, poor Clark daydreaming about this pool to this old, what, the Elvis? Uh, no, it's Bing Crosby, it's the Andrew Bing Crosby. sisters. Oh, how did I, how dare I how mess that up? How did you not up? know the, <laughs> so the song sorry. sung by your boo, Ian? Okay, no, 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 no. Don't make it's it more well than it is. It's well established that you have a thing for Bing Crosby. <laughs> Young Bing Crosby podcast. only. <laughs> Young Bing Crosby looks just about the same as old Bing Crosby. And that's all I'm going to say. He's the only man that at 25. Okay. You know what? So in this also scene, it looks like a 40 year old. <laughs> Listen to our going my way episode. Oh my gosh. So in this scene, he sees his whole family out at this pool, enjoying it. Eddie's about to jump off the diving board, but all of a sudden, I love that Eddie has on like long underwear and then a leopard print speedo over. it. So good. Very Eddie too. He's a fashionista. I really like how like Eddie isn't originally in the scene and then just intrudes upon the scene so that even when he's daydreaming, Eddie is like an unwelcome intrusion. Like he doesn't want Eddie in his daydream, but Eddie still somehow shows up in his daydream anyway. Surprise. And is front and center in that daydream. (laughs) It's so great. But slowly the number of people diminish 
and, and all Eddie of a sudden, morphs into the shop girl. Yes. Shop lady, shop woman. In a, I feel bad every time I call her a girl. I call her the lingerie counter clerk. Yes, that's correct. Um, but she is in a bright red one piece. And it's a this whole little bit's like an homage to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Because it's like the red one piece, and then she dives into the pool, and that's like her coming out of the water. But the conversation with Ruby Sue, she interrupts his daydream. I okay. The scene goes from a place where, like, not a huge fan to one of the sweetest scenes in the movie, I think. And that is with Clark talking to Ruby Sue. And Ruby Sue kind of reveals that, like, she doesn't think Santa's coming this year. And it's not because, like, they've been bad. Because he kind of does it like, well, you've been good, right? Like, so Santa will definitely come this year. And she explains that last year she and her brother were really good and they didn't do anything. And Santa still didn't come. Which we as an audience, it breaks our hearts because we realize like what it means is that like Eddie and Catherine couldn't afford to get them gifts for Christmas that year. And I think Chevy Chase plays it so well with like being kind of like a comforting presence for the child. But also Mm -hmm. like we can tell that he fully understands and it makes him like very sad to hear it. Yeah. And honestly, I think this is one of those scenes that falls solidly into kind of what Matt had talked about earlier with seeing it as an adult, like has so much more of an impact um, because of your additional knowledge about the situation to put it uh, lightly. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's such a like sweet, sweet scene between the two of them. But he lets her in on the secret that like Santa always comes to their house and then we cut to him talking to Ellen about how like he had that conversation with Ruby Sue. She says that there's something, I think the, the boy's name's Rocky, right? Check a cast list for me real quick. Yeah. His name's Rocky. Um, but she says that she had a similar conversation with him and that like, she thinks that Eddie and Catherine probably can't afford to get them gifts this year. She explains that like Eddie has been out of work for seven years, which is a really long time. Also, uh, there's some conversation that implies that Eddie was a vet which would have been probably Vietnam, I think, um, because he talks about the metal plate in his head and getting it replaced at the VA, uh, which as an adult who studied history adds like an even another layer of sadness to this. To clarify, it was metal, but then he had it changed to plastic because he kept setting off the metal detector. That's why he doesn't ride the sled, well, and, remember? And every time his wife used the microwave. <laughs> oh, that's right. Every time his wife fires up the microwave, he pisses and his forget pants. who he was. That's why he can't ride the sleigh, because he doesn't want anything. the only thing between his brain and the pavement, a piece of government plastic. And if, <laughs> and if it dented that side, it's right under his part, and then his hair would just look weird. And that's so, his issue. His hair looking weird. I love, but once again, they take something that is like very poignant and sad, and they do a really funny joke with it, because we've met Eddie. He's lovable. He's not super smart. And then um, Ellen goes... Uh, says something about him being out of work for seven years and Clark's like he wasn't able to find a job she's like no he says he was holding it out for a management position I just oh Eddie (laughs) no I just want to like reemphasize something that Ian said a second ago it's like Mary Sue's comment sort of highlights how when you're a kid other people are making the magic happen for you And then all of a sudden you're an adult like Clark. And now the burden is just on you to make it magical for everybody. And you're not even sure if you can do it. Because like 
you don't exactly remember what made it magical in the first place. So you're just going to give it your all and like hope that you can recreate that special combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like doing it in the ways you can, like it's really sweet that him and Ellen are like, we want to be able to like give Rocky and Ruby Sue presents this year. Like we want to help you out with that. And while they're buying all the dog food, well, Clark's probably buying all the dog oh, food at the department scene? store. And then I love that Eddie's like, that's just so sweet and so nice of you. Here's a list. He has it ready to go. And this is after he has literally pulled, as you said, with dog food, five bags of dog food, like 25, like big bags of dog food of various I mean, brands. Anyone who's <laughs> ever had a sizable dog, they eat a lot. I just love that it is Clark paying and it just bag, bag, third bag. And, <laughs> and I have a list going. ready. <laughs> but Clark takes it in stride because that's who he is. Yeah, because he wants to make it magical for everyone. He's going to do his best. And here's something he can do to make it magical. Exactly. So, again, that was our quick trip to uh, December 21st. And now we are on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And... Matt, your comment about the idyllic Christmas being the advent calendar is no better than on the 24th, where it is a quiet set of children in front of the fire and the Christmas tree just like there being festive. Like, it's so perfect. You can almost feel it. Like, you look at that picture and you can smell the smells and you can feel the feels and hear the sounds almost. And you're like, this this is what Clark is trying to recreate. But... It's not going to happen. Well, it's something, too, that I'm like, has anyone ever achieved that? Yeah, the people who post for the picture, obviously. But you know what I mean? Like, it's you, I think, especially as an adult, too, like, you sympathize with him because you're like, oh, you're chasing something that, like, isn't real. True. True. But December 24th. Can we just talk about how we meet my two favorite characters? Are you talking about Aunt movie? Bethany and Uncle Uncle Lewis? <laughs> Lewis, thank you. <laughs> I love them. Also, fun fact, the actress who plays um, Aunt Bethany was the original voice of Betty Boop in 1931. Really? Or 1930, yeah. I love them. I aspire to be that out of it when I'm that old. I personally don't want to be that out of it, but it adds for some like massive comedic moments. <laughs> I yes, like the the presents that are the wrapped cat <laughs> and the jello mold that apparently still had jello in it. Yes. Yes. It's just so good. And when we move on to the dinner and she's asked to say grace, it is. <laughs> she just starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance and everyone just rolls with it. I appreciate people rolling with it. Yeah. It's sweet. But that's kind of the main next big, like, kerfuffle that happens in this whole thing. Is well, that dinner. you also have them cutting into the, yeah, you have them cutting into the turkey that looks amazing, but it's just like nothing inside that poor Catherine made. Yes. But the way that they kind of led into that with Clark being so misty eyed and like just looking so gently upon his family at his because table. Because he'd achieved the tableau. So perfect. <laughs> the burnt turkey was perfect on the outside. Oh, it it's looks such so a good. metaphor, such a metaphor. Cause it is the beautiful, delicious Turkey 
where he even makes the joke. It's like, what is it? Uh, if this turkey is as good as it looks, like I can't remember what the end of the joke is, but then you cut into it and it's like terrible. Okay. Hot take. Turkey is the worst of all poultry. You've never had good turkey, my friend. I've had delicious turkey, but it is still not as good as quail or pigeon <laughs> or chicken. Most most of us commoners don't eat quail and pigeon on a regular basis. <laughs> I was going to pretend that you were so bougie with your quail, but then you said pigeon, and I was like, well, never mind. That is a garbage bird. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It actually is delicious. I, um, I won't. Which, which, which famous writer was it that like caught pigeons in the park and like ate them in his studio apartment so he wouldn't starve? Ew. Oh, I don't know. Oh, was it was Hemingway? That? Like one of those guys. Like one of those. Like, it probably fucking was. Sounds like um, something. Was I don't know. I will, I will find my book that I love that. What is it called? It's like a white, uh, straight white man's guide to important writers of the Western canon. It is like just this facetious book on like all of those like writers that like stuck up lip bros will try and talk about like, so amazing written by dana schwartz just here's my plug for that book everyone should buy it it's hilarious um but i just i love that the turkey it's kind of like your christmas nostalgia right like the idea that like when it's under the nostalgia like it seems perfect and it looks perfect but if you dig a little deeper in the like the memories like there are flaws and it's not always as good as like you think it's going to be so I'd like to like jump back for just a second to talk a little bit about the saying of grace at Christmas dinner and how for some people it might not seem like a big deal, but for some families, it's like a massive like political power struggle, like who gets to say grace. Mm. So I actually think it's kind of interesting that he just like readily like gives the honor to Aunt Edna. That's her name, right? Bethany and Bethany like like he hey, could be Edna. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> he, he isn't greedy, you know, like there are some people who would say it's my house. Like I say grace, you know what I mean? But he's not like that. Mm-hmm. So I actually always admired that about him where he's like, all I want is for it to be magical. Like, I don't need the traditional honor of saying grace. You are the eldest family member. Like you should do it, you know, because I've I've met people that are like, nope, nope, it's my house. And I say grace. And some people get really bent out of shape about it. It's weird. This is funny because this is the difference in between like family traditions. So on my dad's side of the family, it was also a big thing about who said grace. But the grand like one of the grandkids was required to do it. And it was like a rite of passage that none of us wanted. (laughs) And for the longest time, it was my eldest cousin, Bree, who had to do it all the time. And then she like tried to pass it on to her brother who refused. My cousin Ryan, like basically my cousin Ryan did the Paris Hilton thing where it's like, if you never want to do something again, do it badly. No one will ever ask you to again. So that's what he did. And then when I was old enough, people would try and make me say it. And I didn't want to. So it was like very much like a... It was like a power struggle, but in a very (laughs) different way. But things rapidly go downhill after the turkey. Well, we do get some amazing comedic scenes with them trying to eat the turkey. So like you have Ellen just fling the turkey off her fork, then pretend to eat it, which I loved. Which can we talk about Ellen's outfit in the seat? Like her Christmas Eve outfit is amazing. 
I want that outfit. You want the boob window? <laughs> I want the boob window, and I want I want the flouncy green skirt. The skirt. That's was really honestly good the too. part that I want the most is the flouncy green skirt. Things do go downhill so fast. First, the poor cat that has been unwrapped decides that Christmas lights would make a good toy. This is the part of this movie that sticks like most strongly in my mind. The burnt silhouette. The burnt silhouette of the cat. <laughs> The cat's chewing on the lights. The lights go out. Of course, everyone's try- like, trying to figure out how to fix the lights. And Clark, when he plugs them back in, it's just sparks and smoke and a dead cat. Poor cat. It's fine. Poor but cat. we do know that Eddie wants to try and fumigate that chair because it looks like a good quality chair. Because <laughs> <laughs> the cat it's was like, blown it. up and singed. Oh, God. But- as a kid, the cat dying used to really upset me. Um, I was really concerned about pets as a child, and my parents were like, you're reading too much into it. N- no cats really died. Like, there's no reason to be upset. I'm like, oh, no, the cat died. It's sad. And they're like, no, it's not sad. It's funny. I'm like, But their cat died. I don't understand how that's funny. And they're like, you'll understand when you're older. And what do you know? I do. <laughs> you do. You're older. Because it's also like the thing where it's like something kind of awful and tragic just happened, but all the adults are trying to be like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. There's not just burnt cat outline in our carpet. But we get another tragedy. Less life, animal life lost this time. But it has been shown that Mr. Snot likes to drink the tree water. So this poor tinderbox of a tree is just waiting for Uncle Lewis to oh light up God. his cigar. I never put it together that it's because the dog drank all the water that the tree oh, is so dry thing. and brittle. This movie tees itself up for everything. And I think that's part of the brilliance. That is so br- I just never put that two together. But but I always loved the joke of uh, Uncle Lewis, who was just belligerent. He's this like short, belligerent, skinny old man who like smokes cigars constantly. And I love him. But he's like right next to the tree and lights up a cigar and the whole tree just goes whoof, in flames. It's so sad. And Clark is so sad. And he goes a little bit crazy. Because he cuts he down a tree. I think, I think Russ's exact terms are berserk. Dad went berserk. <laughs> but we do get and a reprieve. I love how they're like, this is not the first time, which if you've watched the vacation movies, it's not the first time. <laughs> well, at least they know how to handle it. Do they? I mean. They kind of just let it go and they're like, well, it'll end. It's probably better for everyone involved to just let it go. <laughs> But I do love that we get another revisit of the neighbors, Todd, which I think I misspoke earlier. His name is Todd and Margot. Um, that they're talking about how they're a little bit sad while Margot is that they didn't get a tree. And all of a sudden, this tree that Clark has been cutting down bursts through their window and they're just like incredulous. I just, again, I. I do love that, like, yes, they're kind of, like, bougie and annoying, but you also are so on their side. Like, you're like, I'd be so pissed. Okay, that's two windows in a a week, two weeks? Two windows at Christmas time. In Chicago. (laughs) It's fucking cold. I would be mad. I'd be so pissed. But Clark comes back in with the tree, 
which we then discover there is a squirrel in it. Now, anybody who is not living in a city plagued by squirrels, they're the worst. <laughs> they're the worst. Our college campus was like overrun with them and they, they weren't afraid pots. of people too. They dig in my pots and they've been eating the figs off of the fig tree, which makes Patrick very angry because he wants the figs. Um, so I think we're prepared to have a mini squirrel war in the next, you know, 18 months. We'll see when it happens. I hate nice. squirrels. Please film it. I want a Caddyshack remix of you guys fighting squirrels. <laughs> okay, it's not going to be gopher style. Like, we're not going to blow things up. watch out. Like, Patrick's good at archery. Like, those squirrels should watch out. <laughs> Someone should warn those squirrels. Um, I'm just kidding. They don't need advance warning. Anyway, so there's a squirrel in the tree. I love that initially it's like Aunt Bethany's like, can't you hear that? And everyone's like, oh, Aunt Bethany. And Clark's she like, can't no, hear wait a minute. Shit, but she can hear the squirrel. It's a weird squeaking sound. <laughs> <laughs> squirrel jumps out. I love how everyone absolutely freaks out. Somehow in all of this, Clark's mom falls down on the ground and is like playing dead because <laughs> of the squirrel. They're act they're acting like she has been left in a war zone, like in no man's land. Like Ian, this is like all quiet on the Western front level, like what they're going up against. Somehow Uncle Lewis and Aunt Bethany have fallen asleep after all this is popped can't hear off. anything. It's fine. I love that they're just asleep. Um, everyone else is like out of the room. They've been screaming away from the squirrel. They're like trying to get to Clark's mom. He's like, mom, mom, we're coming for you. His dad does the like deep breath and he's like, I'm coming with you. After this squirrel, they finally chase the squirrel out of the house. Meanwhile, we cut to Todd and Margot, where Margot's like, you need to go over there and like talk to him and like settle this and like be a man. And he refuses to. And she's like, well, then I'm going to. So the dramatic irony of us as an audience knowing this is not going to go well <laughs> as the squirrel siege is going on. It's finally running through the room like after Clark, he opens the front door right as Margo's there to knock and she just gets a squirrel in the face. And Snot, who is in and pursuit. <laughs> I love when she comes back into their house and is just like, like clearly has been through shit. And her husband's like, what happened? And she just like decks him. I mean, again, he wasn't, quote, man enough to go do it, which, OK, let's not be gendered about it. But he should have been the <laughs> one to take seriously. He should have done it. <laughs> send a spouse to deal with my crazy neighbors. <laughs> other than gender, what other criteria can you use to decide who has to confront the crazy neighbor? Arm wrestle. Arm wrestle. They kind of like that's kind of just like a back door that to making come a gender, down to gender joke. though. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Theoretically. Fair. Rock, paper, scissors. I do like um there is one scene that I really like wherever um Clark's wife confronts him and she's like, Why did like why are you acting so crazy? Why did you cut down a tree in the front yard? He's like, I'm not crazy. I saw a problem and I fixed a problem. Like, what's crazy about that? Like, I kind of relate to that, like, especially in work <laughs> situations where it's like, don't talk to me. Like, I am only going to fix the problem in front of me. And I don't care. Like, my blinders are on. The tree is gone. We need a new tree. I will find a new tree. If I can find a new tree, my job is done and all is right with the world. So I kind of feel that. <laughs> I get it. So in this whole mess of a, a section, we also finally get 
the fabled courier delivery of the Christmas bonus. They've sprinkled throughout that like Clark's kind of getting nervous about his bonus. Like he was asking his work friend, like, have you gotten your bonus yet? And the guy was like, well, my wife called and said that like an envelope got delivered. So I'm sure yours is on the way. Like Clark is starting to feel a little bit nervous about getting that bonus. Um, But the courier arrives. He's convinced that this is the bonus. He announces to everyone that he's going to put in a pool with it. Everyone's really excited. Okay, but his fatal flaw was announcing the pool before he opened the letter. His fatal flaw, and I hardcore relate to this, is the fact that everything was going really shittily. So he pinned his hopes on one thing, being like, if I make it through all this, then I get this one thing. I've done that before. and. Ian knows the story, the cupcake story. (laughs) When I had had, I think you know the story. I had had like the shittiest week at work. Like I had been in a car accident earlier in the week. I had accidentally left my wallet at work um, because you, Ian, you lived close by and you actually came and paid for my groceries because I discovered that I'd left my wallet at the grocery store. But I like bought myself at the end of the week. I was like, if I make it through this week, I'm buying myself cupcakes Like I just because it was like when everything shitty is happening, you're like, if I can keep it together and give myself this one point of hope, it'll be fine. So I got to the end of that week. I bought myself the cupcakes. I got home and the cupcakes had turned over on the car ride home. (gasps) And I sat down at the kitchen table and just started crying. And this is when I lived with our, uh, our friends, Brian and Michael. And I was like talking to one of them later and Michael was like I literally he's like I walked in saw that happening and just backed out of the room <laughs> he's like I did not know what was happening <laughs> okay I do not remember any of that part and I, I didn't realize I had paid for your groceries but I'm glad past Ian did a good thing <laughs> no I, I it's, it's so etched in my mind because like I did the thing that Clark did where he's you know, he wants to make it the perfect Christmas, but bad things keep happening. But he's like, you know what? I have the bonus coming. I have the pool. And then he like announces it and everyone's so excited. So it's like he's delivered on the magic. And then he opens it and it's a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay. If I were not expecting a bonus, but I also got a Jelly of the Month Club, (laughs) I would actually be excited. Even be like, ooh, jelly of the month. But I understand why he was disappointed. So yeah, that that touches off that that's like part of this whole like meltdown section there. But as part of it, he has also said, All right, if someone wants to give me a present, deliver me my boss, Mr. Shirley. And what wrapped does- up in a bow so I could tell him what a son of a bitch he is. Can, can somebody read the full monologue of curses? Because <laughs> they're very unique. <laughs> okay, I found it. Okay, let's go. So here's the full rant. Hey, if any of you are looking for any last minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I'd like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, Four flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty lipped, worm headed, sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? And it's the Tylenol, not the booze. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is such a great rant. So I was reading that apparently all the other actors in that scene, because it's really just on Clark, they all had massive cue cards with pieces of the rant written on it so that he could like I get was through the whole thing in one take. Because that would be a hard bit to memorize. Yeah. Um, but so they all had the cue cards, which is why his eyes are going from like person to person. Oh, that's perfect. I think it's I think it's believable, though, because they use they repeat certain like styles of curse. So it's like a spineless, dickless, brainless, you know, like you can believe that someone might say all three of those in a row. You know, it's, yeah, it's not it evolves. too elegant. It's just elegant when enough. It, it starts. And Did it we just call a so swearing mundane. rant elegant? It can be. Oh, I will. You can swear it. elegantly. Um. But like, and it starts so simple too with like cheap lying, no good. And then it gets just like more and more creative. And I like that. I like that he sneaks in where the man lives. Melody which, uh, Lane. Makes the next bit all the more believable. So we see Eddie and his RV peeling off. And his blue well, leisure we suit. We also see Eddie during the rant have like this epiphany. Like whenever Clark starts going off about what he wants as a last minute Christmas gift, Eddie's eyes light up like, oh, okay. Well, because when Clark had told him that he and Ellen wanted to like buy gifts for the kids, one of the things Eddie said was like, I'm going to get you something, something really special. And so like to bring that around to like Eddie just being in his beautiful Eddie brain being like, here, here's something he can do. Here's a problem he can solve. <laughs> is he being crazy or is he just solving the issue? Only the courts yes. will decide. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that they pull this together, it is like a rapid fire cut between multiple different scenes. But moral of the story is Mr. Shirley is at Clark's house. Okay. In a yes. bow. In a bow. And Eddie's like, Clark, tell him. And Clark's like, oh, shit. But he eventually he does because he's kind of like, I mean, surely he's going to fire him anyway. So he's like, you know what? What you did was terrible. Like people rely on that bonus and like not just me and my family, but like everybody. Um, and surely realizes what an asshole he's been. And he adds 20% to the bonus, which I would love 20% added to my bonus. Like, let's, I would let's too. be honest here. What a what a Christmas gift right there. Exactly. Um, That's a pretty sizable increase, actually. Like, and obviously Shirley's Shirley has no idea what he's saying because he's like, um, oh, 20%. He doesn't know. That may, tells you that like the company wasn't in a position where it was like, we can't do bonuses this year. Like, if he can arbitrarily be like, okay, fine, then 20%. Like your company was doing fine. Why did you cut them to begin with? You you hold on you cheap lying no good rotten (laughs) you're gonna go into it yeah um but one one thing that i love like to to gloss over it really fast like there's some really fun like comedy around the police chase and shirley's wife calling the cops the swat team also breaking in also i love the music of santa claus is coming to town over all of the swat vehicles it's great but at the culmination of this okay mrs shirley is there mr shirley is there i want to talk about the swat team breaking in but the one thing that i want to say is everybody reads 
Shirley for cutting that. Even his wife is like, how dare you? <laughs> I know. He's like, remember when I was toying with that idea? And she's like, you're despicable. <laughs> you didn't. Um, I love her and how classy she is. I love when she's describing the guy who took him. And <laughs> she's like, he was tall, large man in a blue leisure suit. <laughs> I think she calls, doesn't she call him beastly? I think I so. Think she a large, beastly man in a blue leisure suit. And Kansas plates. So much. <laughs> and I'm just grateful it wasn't Alabama plates for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. Um, I love that uh, they break into the neighbor's house and they're like knocking on the door. And Margo's like, if you want to come in, you're going to have to break the door down. And so they do. <laughs> That poor neighbors, like, I actually do feel for Todd and Margot. Yes, they are insufferable yuppies, but also let them be insufferable in their house in peace. They're only insufferable on their own. And like, wouldn't you be insufferable if that was your neighbors? I'd move first before I became insufferable, but that's just I'd become me. insufferable and then move because I'm stubborn. Um, <laughs> but I love there's chaos in the living room. Everyone's freezing at one point. Um there's a wonderful bit of physical comedy where Ellen has her hand on Clark's crotch. And then when Mrs. Shirley comes in, Ellen is like frozen, doesn't even break eye contact with the SWAT team, but hey, reaches her hand out, shakes Mrs. Shirley's hand and then puts it back immediately. It's like, welcome to our home. <laughs> <laughs> Always the good hostess. Um, but yeah, so it ends with happiness at a 20% addition to the bonus. You can get two pools now. Well, they're going to have to redo a lot of their house, Ian. There's a lot of windows to replace. Like all of the, I think the SWAT team broke every single window on the front of their house. Yeah, there's so many windows. Also, reasons, you know what? Reasons why you staple your lights on your roof in case the SWAT team's coming over your roof. They won't knock your lights off. So the end scene, everybody is happy, but we get one last explosion. Oh, sorry. I said the wrong song. I said Santa Claus is coming to town but i think it's here comes santa claus is the song that's played with the uh, cop cars. yeah you're right you're right and it's perfect because here they're coming yeah yeah so great i do uh sorry uh, i had one thing i wanted to say about the bonus earlier that you find out when he's about to open the envelope from the courier that he didn't have enough money in his account to cover the deposit that he made for the pool, which is another failing of Clark's that he would ever think it was okay to like write a check that he couldn't cover unless he got this Clark. bonus that he didn't have yet. I just can't imagine how you could tolerate that. Like, no wonder he was losing his shit because I know I feel like we're millennials and we were all like in college or graduating college in the middle of a recession. So we're all like, Oh my God, how could you ever, we are literally going to be our grandparents the way they were about money. Like it's going to skip a generation. Like our grandparents will have been extreme prudes about money. And our parents are just going to be like, Oh, it's the eighties, like 10% on my savings account. Yeah. Like money all day. And then we're going to like go straight back to great depression. Thank like well and it's gonna be like grandma uh maggie grandpa ian grandpa matt why are you hoarding things and we're gonna be like well this thing what? called covid happened Co are we hoarding I need things? my toilet paper <laughs> yes like in the great depression 
So the ending, though, is actually really sweet. And we get some fireworks, which is great. So earlier on, we we kind of glossed over it, but there was a really funny scene where Eddie is emptying the black water tank from his RV. Ian, I'm sorry. Um, technically, it's called the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to cater to the sensitive sensibilities of our listeners. <laughs> oh, if we have any listeners with sensitive sensibilities still hanging around, I salute you. Um, so, yeah, he's emptying it into the storm drain. Some comments about there being gas, but of course, for the there's second time in this film, there's also a shot where it looks like there's nuclear waste blowing <laughs> from the. They storm use like train. a green light and fog coming out of the sewer. Ugh. The yeah. universal symbol for something toxic: green light. Obviously, or or a Disney villain. Apparently, it's because they had to turn on the auxiliary nuclear power. <laughs> obviously, I just and I love that. He, and, and Clark, even at the time, is like, "Oh, I wouldn't light a match near that." And we're like, "Oh, ha ha! What a funny one-liner!" And then they bring it. It's kind of like a Chekhov's gun. Oh my goodness. Like it has to go off at some point. Every single thing in this movie is a Chekhov's gun. It's a Chekhov's arsenal (laughs) up in here and I love it. (laughs) But Uncle Lewis, again, he did not learn his lesson with the fucking tree. Of course not, Ian. He's like... 87 years old. He's lived a life. You don't know shit. He'll smoke his cigar if he wants to. Good for him. But he also blows himself up. And Santa in his sleigh. Well, a plastic model of Santa in a sleigh. It works. It does. And it becomes the shooting star that we see that is Santa going through the woods. Not the woods, the sky. And then uh, what's uh, what's the aunt's name again? Aunt Bethany. Oh, yeah. She yeah. starts singing the national so anthem. Aunt Bethany, again, like for some reason is feeling extra patriotic this Christmas, starts singing the national anthem. So she did the Pledge of Allegiance for Grace. And now whenever she sees the exploding Santa Claus and sleigh across the sky, the first thing that comes to mind is the national anthem. The rocket's red glare, bombs bursting in air. She is a patriotic old bird and I love it. It's so and I love that everyone's like, oh, okay, okay, this is what we're doing now. They go for it. She, joins in. she is, she is uh. the matriarch, so they have to follow her lead. I love it. <laughs> It's so, the perfect ending. I just, okay, so I think it's funny coming from me that I was about to be like, oh, I like some of my more prudish film watching, da, 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 which Maggie is about to be like, Ian, what? You didn't know shit about film. <laughs> like, no, you know a lot about Oscar winners from that is true. 1929 to 1976. That is true. But or, like, I'm sorry, best picture winners. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I love this movie even if it didn't win any awards it's like speaks to me in a way that i i just yeah i don't know it's so good it's such a good christmas movie i think like i mean considering how many like personal tangents and stories we have told over the course of this episode i think that really speaks to the draw of this movie and that is that it reminds you of like your own funny weird family stories Okay, but you know what is kind of bizarre is, one, do we have those stories because we would have those stories, or do we have those stories because of this movie and the ideal of Christmas? Okay, this movie did not invent the ideal of Christmas. It didn't, but it contributed to it. It rode the wave of it. Um but I I know I think I think like everybody has those like funny family stories that they tell. It's like 
when you're like talking with your friends or like if you introduce a new significant other to your family, like what are the stories that like your family or your extended family talks about? Or like what are the stories they tell at like a family Christmas party or even like, you know, a little bit like a, a funeral or something like what are the funny legends of your family? I think my family would have definitely still had those stories. I just wouldn't have realized how universal some of those stories are. And I wouldn't have thought of them as being comical without this movie. I would have thought that there was something wrong with my family because we always have these like crazy stressful things happen when we're trying to recreate the magic of Christmas. But this movie helps me realize that everyone has crazy stressful things happen when they're trying to recreate the magic of Christmas. So just enjoy it. It's like the story of a man trying to create the magic of Christmas for his family, but in that story, normalizing the fact that no one can really recreate that ideal of Christmas because no one really has it. Instead, you have hilarious stories about the time that your Aunt Bethany wrapped her cat and delivered it to your house, and then the cat was chewing on a light, like a strand of Christmas lights, and then your dad plugged it back in, and the cat got electrocuted. Like, that's... Everybody has those, like, dark family stories, but you're like, it's... You have to laugh, because otherwise, what are you going to do? Ah. It's a fun watch. It's so good. Would recommend... Agreed. It's a totally different vibe than Christmas in Connecticut. I don't know, Matt, if you've (laughs) seen that one. I have not. (laughs) Well, actually, maybe not such a different vibe, because in Christmas in Connecticut, someone is also trying to portray the ideal of something and uh, sort of failing. Yeah, you're very true. You're very true. You're very right. Sorry. Thank you. I'll take both. Yeah, I guess our theme this year unknowingly was people failing at Christmas, but it's still being Christmas because Christmas is about you you failing, but your people still loving you anyway. But also about chaos. I guess one exception would be like White Christmas, where they set out to recreate the Christmas ideal and then succeed. True, but we don't all have the production value, the voice of Bing Crosby, or the dance moves of Danny Kaye. Okay, they literally reference that in this movie, and I wrote it down, and I was like, yes, they're tapping. I meant to call that out, too. He says something about Bing Crosby uh, tapping with Danny Kaye. Um, So, yeah, we did that one last year, so people should go listen to that episode, too. I I forgot that part. When When does he reference White Christmas? Uh, let me look at my notes. I wrote it down. I believe it is during their conversation in the laundry room where they have the heart to heart about what it is between Clark and his father to actually create Christmas. Oh, and it's like, we can't all be that. That's you're right. At least that's my memory. And then he's just like, how did you do it, dad? And he's like, Oh, I had a lot of help from Jack Daniels. Exactly. Yeah, so good. No, what Clark says is we're going to have the jolliest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. <laughs> Love that. So good. We're going to be the so jolliest good. bunch of assholes this side of the Mississippi or something like that. <laughs> so Maggie and I recommend Matt. I assume you recommend as I recommend. well. Awesome. Get some Christmas cheer. Ian, do you want to take us home? For sure. So, Because I've had a couple glasses of wine over the course of this podcast. Not going to tell you what I've had. Um, anyway, 
Thank you so much for listening. In the meantime, definitely go back, listen to some of our back catalog of Christmas episodes. Got some great ones like White Christmas, like we just talked about. One of my favorites. I've actually decided Christmas in Connecticut this year as well. Um, But as well, please do reach out on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have something a little bit more long form, want to definitely like gush over these nostalgic Christmas gems, feel free to email us email us at the best pictures podcast at gmail.com. Um, so this is going to be our last episode for 2020. We will be back, uh, starting some point in January, 2021. We've not discussed it yet. Um, and we'll be starting off next year with Rocky. So join us for that. Then in the meantime, go listen to the other Christmas episodes, go listen to any other episodes we have. And, uh, we'll, See you in 2021. Definitely. And thank you so much, Matt, for joining us on this uh, wonderful Christmas vacation. Uh, it's been a pleasure having thank you. Thank you, guys. I'd like to do it again soon. Yeah, of course. Add you to our, our wonderful rotating binder of guests. I shouldn't have referenced <laughs> the binder of wishes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But in the me- I'm saying in the meantime... But regardless, until next time, definitely hope you all have a very good holidays and a happy new year. And we will see you in 2021.